This is episode 12 of the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. Today, we have a really special guest on the podcast. He's uh, Ari Kaplan of Databricks. He has a fascinating background with a wealth of experience in data analytics, which has seen him work for the likes of Chicago Cubs, Nielsen, and Data Robot, to name a few. He is the head evangelist at Databricks, and I'm super excited to welcome you to the show. So I know we've spoken off air, but I uh, the, the million dollar question is, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be uh, desperate to hear, but what is an evangelist? And I suppose, what does a, a week in the life of one look like? Um, and hi, Alex. Thank you for having me on and for everyone listening. I appreciate your time. So uh, evangelist uh, is new and not so new, but a, a newly titled a role that you're seeing coming across a lot of companies, especially tech companies, and each one takes a slightly different approach. A lot of it is to build the brand of the company, build awareness. Um, so like at Databricks, we're an incredible company with you know, thousands and thousands of customers. Uh, they know who we are, but not everyone at all of our customers are familiar with us, and a lot of companies have never heard of us. So at Databricks, it's building that awareness, uh, both to new companies, to different personas. Um, and so you see at other uh, tech-like companies, the same idea. What products are out there? What's the value? Uh, what is the art of the possible? And it's also very relationship-driven as well. So building the big brand, building relationships with some of the key customers and partners. A lot of times it includes, like we're on here now with podcasts or thought leadership, building out blogs, and trying to get your voice amplified. So trying to get customers to advocate on your behalf, trying to get partners to advocate on your behalf, really brings you to that new audience. So it's, uh, you know, never the word influencer is kind of like very like social, but it's like a technical influencer, getting people to get excited, see the value, and spread the word about your company to their new audience. Interesting. Yeah, I know we speak previously, but it's a it's a relatively new coin phrase. And I, I want to get on to the, you know, the point about Databricks and who they are, because you know, for someone who recruits in this space, we certainly see them gather momentum and data robot is equally a vendor we've seen a lot of. But I'd be uh, certainly doing you a disservice if we didn't revisit Probably you've been in tech for a long time, but you, you've got a, a lot of experience within that kind of sporting analytics field and domain. A lot of people listening here are either transitioning into a new domain within analytics or they're trying to just break into analytics as their kind of first kind of step on the ladder. But do you mind giving us a bit of a kind of a whistle-stop tour of, of how you fell into such a you know, sports analytics and baseball analytics specifically, you know, and what that looked like and what you were involved on there. Because I was obviously doing my research prior to this and you were involved in some kind of fascinating projects. Yeah, well, I've been uh, uh, under a big honor to have worked in sports analytics for many, many decades, uh, mostly with Major League Baseball, but in recent years with everything from Formula One, traveling the world with McLaren uh, race strategy team, to uh, NBA and um, you know uh, Premier League uh, football, so all different areas. And the common theme is data analytics helps you make uh, great decisions, uh, both on the field, above the field, or uh, relationship to the fans. So that that's common, and that 
messages, you know, one reason people like hearing the story is it really applies to every industry. How do you take information and uh, be able to do actionable insights? And then the other reason it resonates well is, uh, especially in sports, these are athletes that you're dealing with. So if the data says take one action and the athlete's body isn't quite you know, able to do that action, you, you have to have that humanistic element. Uh, how do you predict human behavior? How do you model it? How does the, the human side uh, get augmented by data? And how does the data get augmented by humans? Like uh, if you're trying to sell a product, market a product, how, how is that human, someone who understands the business aspect, all part of that partnership? So yeah, I, I was uh, lucky that I was an undergraduate at Caltech, which is the California Institute of Technology. People have heard of the TV show Big Bang Theory. Well, that was the story of my life. Uh, that that was like basically filmed that and uh, based on what a graduate and undergraduate was like. But at the time, I came up with better ways to evaluate uh, sports performance. I was just a teenager, didn't know that uh, this would help influence a multi-billion uh, industry. So for example, the letter X, which you see in some statistics today, like expected goals, expected wins, was the paradigm I set up, which takes luck out of the equation and tells you what is expected if you take luck out of it. Um, and, and in reality, you know, it plays out sometimes with the numbers or against it. But that was just one simplified example. Ended up getting my first uh, ability to work with Fred Clear, who's the GM of the Dodgers at the time, and immediately just started working with players. And they really locked into the idea that some some of their statistics were based on luck. So if they used the statistics I was coming up with, it would better exemplify how they were doing. So they, they by and large, loved it and then never looked back. And as the advice with business, every four or five years, that you know, the world changes enough that you have to change your model, um, you know, what you provide. And so I had to change my outlook every four years. And uh, that, that's been fascinating. What are the different areas of data and technology that that I had to change personally uh, to stay relevant, uh, but the whole industry? And, uh, you know, now we're, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it more, but at such an exciting time with yeah. structured and unstructured data and people really buying in to predictive modeling. And then, uh, you know, we're chatting before we came on, uh, you know, the whole world is aflame with, uh, you know, large language models. So that seems to be at the moment, you know, the next disruptive, uh, one of the next disruptive, yeah. but certainly the most visible um, in, in technology for probably the next four years at least. Absolutely, yeah. And I think also we'll get onto that later as well. I think it's uh, it's interesting that you that sports analytics piece because I think it's an industry of you know small gains, isn't it? I think actually sports analytics isn't new now, but when it did come in, how, how did you kind of find that kind of driving the adoption of that? And the, I suppose the belief in what you're saying did you, did you find there's a bit of resistance to that? Because a lot of what people listening here about will think, well. How am I educating my audience on, you know, the benefits this may bring? Did you find that was as much about your job as maybe delivering the solution itself? Yeah, uh, absolutely, and it depended on the organization. So, like the Dodgers, their GM was very uh, humble 
and self-reflective. So his attitude was like, if there's a way I can improve, I can improve our players, I can improve how I draft, I can improve um, you know, which players I get called up or how I can position them defensively, then I want to do it. So that came the culture from the top down. But then I was kind of parachuted into other organizations where there was like incredible hostility, um, where they <laughs> wouldn't even want to sit with you to understand what it is they're disagreeing with. Um, so it all, all just depends on on the environment. There's uh, 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 naturally curious people that want to improve themselves, and then there's psychology, for example, group think, where everyone has to align with the leader and find anecdotal evidence that the decision that already happened was the right one. Um, and sometimes that works in, in sports, where if you have great athletes yeah. to begin with, um, you know you're going to win no matter what. But over time, you know it's it's not not really the best way to go about it. So you have the, lots of resistance to change, to uh, adopting new technology, to having discussions, which is, I think, part of human nature. And that, for, for some organizations, was by far more of my time and energy than actually doing the work. Yeah, no, it sounds it. No, it's, it's fascinating. And I, yeah, uh, uh, so you obviously mentioned the top, you, uh, you, you're currently a Databricks, you've been there a while, and you're, you're obviously this kind of global evangelist for them but you know people listening to this are pretty well tapped into the data space but as you say databricks are, are known to some and, and not known to many but who are they fundamentally and, and what makes them such a those force to be reckoned with great well you know it's incredible company to have joined are you know we created this entire space called the data lake house which solves a lot of big challenges in the industry um, you typically have two completely separate technologies and platforms um, that, that a company has before they adopt a lake house. And one is a data warehouse, which is largely structured data, historical information, uh, you know, numeric type of information. Uh, what were your sales history? So that's business intelligence data warehousing. And then you have an entire uh, different one, uh, you know, uh, data lake, which is largely machine learning unstructured data, storing video and images, and they're fundamentally incompatible. Different software, so companies uh, typically have six different types of platforms, but you know, just two main ones, Data Warehouse, um, Data Lake. And uh, you know, in order to do like, like a predictive analytics, I was just at HIMSS, which is a healthcare company. You have medical mm. information, somebody's height, weight, level of blood sugar, and then you have unstructured data, their medical image, you know, an x-ray, text, some PDF, uh, MRIs. Um, and traditionally, you can't join the two. Um, you can't make predictions easily based on both of them. You have to patch that together. So Databricks solved that problem mm -hmm. by coming up with the uh, Lakehouse. One unified platform, all of your data in one environment, so that, that, that was like half of the revolution. It's incredibly important. Uh, I feel that every single major company is going to adapt this. Uh, I used to work for Oracle the way they adapted databases or the way you adapt a website. Um, that, that's half of it. The, the other part is our founders are, are big into open source. Open source is great since it's, you know, it, it's uh, open. You're not 
stuck into one particular vendor. It's transparent. You understand what um, the technology is doing under the scenes. Um, and our founders created Spark, you know, immensely popular. Uh, ML Flow, Delta Lake, you know, these are three of the biggest open source platforms around data and compute um, out there. So we combine like the best of all worlds. Um, and then the other factors, companies, especially this year, um, are coming to us since the, the cost and the performance, the scale is incredible. I, I was part of the big data world where you had Hadoop and billions of records. And now the new scale is trillions of records. People's data is doubling every year, you know, or every couple of years. And it's just very cost prohibitive to have a traditional data warehouse. Uh, the, the costs grow up more than linearly yeah. and the performance slows down. So having this scalable, you know, you can query trillions of records. Uh, I was talking to a customer this week in, in just a matter of minutes or seconds, which would have taken weeks in the past. You know, you get the scalability, the cost performance, your mileage varies, but typically about one-fifth the price or about 80% less. Again, it depends what you're doing. Usually on TL you see the most, but lower, dramatically lower cost, better um, uh, performance, open source, and you know, perhaps most importantly, just have every every type of data, structured, semi-structured, structured under one platform, one governance. You know, the, the ability to see who has access to what data is managed by one uh, entire platform, as opposed to having six different management governance platforms and hoping your security people are up to sync. Wow. Yeah, it really is. It- well, the Databricks product itself is is fascinating in terms of how it's bringing those two probably challenges together under one platform. And I, uh, you know, as, as a recruiter in this space, I know we deal with so many requirements and clients who have different tech stacks, different vendors, different tools. And I know you're obviously in that kind of evangelist role where so it's fundamentally you're there to promote the Databricks product and ultimately sign customers up. But you know, when you're going to these customers or target customers or they're speaking to you and you're talking to them about, A, their, their challenge, their use case, and in your opinion, you know, what should they be first considering? I know obviously cost will be one thing before they decide what tools and tech stack to settle with, because all the companies are either that, you know, early stage startup and they're thinking, how do we set this up so we can scale? Or they're a clunky, larger enterprise client that's looking to move on to a more kind of um, a better technology stack. So, so what should they be considering before deciding on the vendor they, dis- they, they settle with? Yes, uh, you know, great question. You know, I, I hate the phrase, it depends, but, you know, in this case, absolutely, it depends. Uh, you know, I like, uh, you know, I kind of run through some of the examples you gave. So one company could be just starting out their startup. They don't have much money, if at all. Other companies, you know, could be large public companies with billions of dollars in revenue, and they already have some infrastructure. And it it could be like the other flip where uh, it it could be perceived as timely, costly, you know, an 18-month project to implement SAP, you know, for example. So starting with the small a company, you know, that's where you really need to be agile. You need to 
uh, if it's a tech company, develop software and see what works, what doesn't, fail quickly, and you don't have much money. So they're a solution where, the, the uh, number one, it, it does what you need, you know, typically storing data, processing data, but it kind of scales with you. So looking at the, the price consideration, you want something there when you, you know, either they're friendly to startups and like have an entry level price, or it's like pay as you go. If you don't yeah. use something for a bit, you know, you don't pay much if at all. And if you start spiking, you know, you pay it, uh, you know, more as you use the software more. And there are different models with that. Databricks does have a pay as you go, but you know, there are other companies. So that's what I recommend if you're starting out. And then if you're like a large company, trying to reinvent yourself, there's, it really depends on the persona that you're dealing with, but you typically want something that could scale like with your needs that uh, could be implemented fairly quickly. Uh, You know, I I tend to avoid projects that are going to take a, a year and a half or two years to implement and cost millions of dollars. Sometimes if there's only one vendor that does that, like some specialized software, you have to do that. But, you know, you wanted, I, I like the term future-proof. You want yep. something that could be implemented fairly easily. Um, people that the skill sets of the employees you already have generally can help do that implementation and maintain it afterwards. Uh, but then you're future-proof. Or is there a vendor lock-in? You know, what if this company goes out of business or uh, won't update the feature set uh, that that I want? And that's why... A lot of companies are starting to adopt, not starting, they have been for a while, but larger companies are are more adapting towards the open source uh, paradigm. Yeah. So they're not locked in. That makes complete sense. And there's nothing more, like being on the other side of it where on a far smaller scale where one of our ATS or CRM platform providers has is, 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 is gone, hit the wall and all of a sudden there's limited product support and by creating it all on an open source, people can go in, they can obviously build their own customizations, their own APIs, they can do things themselves. And I'm guessing, you know, everything's tying into what we are seeing is, you know, this rapid rise in, say, AI is the kind of more, almost more generic term now, but, you know, we're seeing that tying in more predictive analytics, more machine learning, more artificial intelligence to drive business decisions. But it's now coming into the mainstream now. I mean, you know the, the the kind of consumer at home. But what do what do you think is behind that almost you know ridiculous rise in adoption of these tools over the last the twelve months? Where we're seeing now you've got the interface layers, which will be the next thing, which we're starting to see. You've got ChatGPT on mobile. You're starting to see companies building out their new kind of interfaces. What do you think is behind that? Yeah, the you know. A great question, and it's kind of the conflux of a lot of things happening, pushing in this direction. Uh, number one is the the last five years have seen companies trying out AI or predictive modeling and having success. Companies, you know, like the Walmarts, Kroger's, Coca Colas of the world, where you can better predict supply chain, you can better understand uh, how do you personalize your marketing. So you're spending things more precisely. You're stocking your stores more precisely. Just looking at the retail industry, you know, and then you do the same for any industry, uh, healthcare, life sciences, financial, manufacturing, 
Um, and all of them have seen successful use cases. So that's one thing is it's kind of proven that you can do predictive analytics and save money, reduce cost, reduce risk in your company or grow revenue. So the non-technical people, marketers want to make campaigns that are going to be more successful. The COO, the CFO wants to lower cost and improve, uh, you know, their, their whole operations. So that, that's one thing that's driving it is the success of AI in corporations. The another, another one is there's, uh, you know, kind of dovetailing into that. A lot of people who are graduating college, who are retraining themselves to understand, you know, the hard skills like Python, R, SQL, um, visualization. So you have an influx of people that kind of know how to do this. Um, there's also been an influx of automating machine learning. So some of the time-consuming, repetitive, boring aspects of a data scientist's job is being automated, and that enables them to go after the more complex. It also is this democratization where somewhat technical or non-technical people could do some of the work. They can now do data engineering. Uh, one Another reason could have mentioned uh, Databricks. Data engineering and that whole flow makes it so much more simpler with some of these uh, more modern tools. Um, so those are the two big ones. And then like in the last couple months, the, there's been like this whole rave of uh, open AI chat GPT, which is kind of generalized artificial intelligence. How can yeah. you get large data sets and enable um, either the, the whole world to ask questions of, of the data or, you know, perhaps a specialist trying to find, you know, what's the lowest price item for X, Y, Z. And that is uh, incredible and in that it, it's real and it's here. And I, I think the technology is like ahead of where companies are by and large. So companies are kind of racing to understand, catch up, and if applicable, start thinking and, and applying it. Yeah, it's an interesting, I've been, I've been recruiting analytics for what, 10, 11 years now, and I've never seen such a wholesale shift and and every discussion point we're having, you know, whether it's on the client side or um, just candor side, everyone is embracing and looking at some of some people are terrified. Obviously there's certain sectors and industries that naturally are are mindful of the impact this will have, but I think embraced in the right way, um, it can only bring good. Well hopefully if, if controlled in the right way. Um and you know I, I I'm going to leave kind of the next question till till the end because I think it'd be nice to round off with that. But I think with a lot of the people we're dealing with, they, they typically will be either on that classic STEM education path to following a technical career with analytics. That's typically how we see it. But there's a lot of people who are either in a technical role now or may be more interested in that more commercially led route where product ownership, you know, um, marketing, sales within that kind of data space so you've obviously gone on the journey from being super technical um have obviously advised different companies around the world to now becoming almost a lead you know the, the evangelist role as you said promoting that brand so what advice or tips could you offer people who are looking to maybe follow the more commercial route within ai and data as opposed to you know following that technical route yeah well it's an exciting time it's uh easier now than ever to get started. 
Um, and that's because of this democratization. Uh, you know, as a marketer or salesperson or like a, a line of business type of person, you're probably already doing Excel or you're probably already doing some dashboard. And underneath it, you may not even be aware some of that information might already be AI driven. And AI is, is um, you know, simply uh, taking past information and finding patterns to do predictive analytics, like what will our sales be? What uh, should we optimally supply our stores uh, per SKU per week? Um, that, that's one thing is prediction. Another is classification. Is this patient uh, going to recover? You know, will, will this medicine cure my patient of this disease, yes or no? Um, or high likely, low likelihood. Um, so th those are two. And then the third is this whole uh, uh, general AI. So you, you're already in, probably using AI, but not being aware of it. But if you want to take the next step, then start looking at use cases and examples of what else is happening in your industry. Encourage your company to uh, uh, to, to have software tools that even if you're not the one doing the modeling, that you have a group of data scientists, like if you're in marketing, to help determine, you know, what is the right message or what is the right packaging, what's the right time of day to do a television commercial, whatever it is. But that's driven more on AI, which understands really how this complex, vast amount of data works, than not on AI, which is kind of the more old school, 20 years ago, uh, just following up one simple math formula. So, you know, your company may already have it. Um, and if not, you know, start requesting, start um, looking and seeing how can you slip in different AI-driven solutions so that you can uh, just have better information to make your actual business decisions easier and, and based more on reality. Yeah, no, I like that. No, you're right. I think uh, AI or ML, whatever we want to call it, is, is so much more accessible uh, these days. And I think uh, without you necessarily knowing it, you're probably using the tools or at least uh, benefiting from that 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 tool. Uh, in terms of your, obviously, being in the space a long time, I think we talked before you. What we're seeing over the last 12, 18 months has been a rapid wholesale shift, and both in terms of from an economical standpoint, you know, we grew a lot. We're now retracting slightly, but what's staying true is obviously the demand for, for great kind of data and AI professionals still stands. But what do you think your, your kind of predictions for the next kind of 12, 18 months in this space? Where do you, where do you see things heading? Yeah, so uh, one thing for sure is the amount of data just keeps increasing. So, uh, you know, some companies might double their data every single year. Uh, uh, just looking at Major League Baseball, their main technology is going uh, tenfold the amount of data, um, just the data. The unstructured data probably going to go up uh, even more exponentially, uh, uh, depending on the industry. Having video, for example, um, just goes up a tremendous amount. Audio, uh, images, PDFs, Word documents. Um, so the, the amount of data is increasing. The um, other thing is the percent of data that's not being analyzed is woefully uh, little. Yeah. You have tons of data, companies are storing it, and it's just kind of sitting there being untapped, especially unstructured data. So I see 
with the ease of being able to get at and uh, leverage that data that, that's being unused now. So the usage of the data is going to be in, increasing as well in the coming couple of years. Uh, the, the, the idea of like disruptive innovation, you know, you don't want to disrupt things just for the sake of disrupting, but there are a lot of use cases that are very old school that could use way, way better uh, methodology. So you want to be a data forward uh, type of company. And yeah, of course, the, the thing on the market now, the open AI, what I see is a lot of companies, you know, there's ChatGPT, which is general. Uh, there are companies that don't want to upload all their documents since so then that becomes part of the training set. And like what happened with Samsung recently, your confidential proprietary information, you don't want the rest of the world to see it. So companies are going to start implementing their own uh, private large language models, you know, like with a catalog of all of their pricing information. Yeah. Or um, if it's a certain industry, you want the language to be in, in your uh, in, you know, your way of doing business. So certain word uh, in healthcare, they have their own language uh, 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 category. Uh, finance, they use different terminology. Price per earning. You know, in finance, readmittance means something different. In baseball, can of corn means something. Yeah. So you're going to want to have your own uh, controlled large language models. And that is one thing that, uh, fascinatingly, in, the, in recent weeks, Databricks came out with this uh, Dolly, which is an op- the first open source large language model that you can own and you can train it on your own you know, proprietary or own fed data. Um, wow, that's and, called and Dolly. That, yeah, D-O-L-L-Y. And we're already on a, a couple different versions of it and it's selling super well, so much that like, it feels like more people have heard of Dolly from Databricks than our actual lake house from Databricks. Oh, wow. Uh, both are very important, but you know, regardless of how it shapes out, companies in five years are going to you know, have their own proprietary large language models um, since it's just so, so helpful. Yeah, I find that really yeah, insightful because I think if we look at kind of self-serve analytics, you're generally from a BR and reporting standpoint, you're effectively saying you're pushing kind of almost self-serviced AI where effectively, you know, they're going to have the interface layer, then behind that, they're going to have the large language models and they can perform some really interesting, exciting, real-time, you know, uh, insight and almost predicting some potential trends, which at the moment, you know, that's reserved to a very small, finite part of the business who can do that. But if you make that accessible to all, I think it's going to be really interesting to see. Uh, if we thought now was uh, on the upward curve, I think in the next two, three years, I think you're completely right. I think we're going to really see this everywhere. Yeah, the use cases are like are going to be what we didn't even think of. And yeah, it will disrupt a lot of industries. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll like change humanity in some ways. In some ways, you know, it won't, you know, we'll still be uh, humans a- afterwards. But, you know, just different ideas. You know, look at every YouTube video um, of your podcast and automatically transcribe it and summarize each episode with one sentence, you know, and it, it will be able to do that. Look through every um, Seinfeld episode and yeah. come up with, you know, XYZ. And you'll be able to do it. Those are fun, but you know, imagine when you start doing 
uh, scientific research or being able to look at vast, like go through every book written and count, um, you know, how many times uh, Romania was in it or something like that. Just like one example, you'll be able to ask, um, uh, you'll be able to query data without having to write SQL. You could just do a large language model like, like that example, and it'll co-gen SQL or Python or R and or Scala and write the programs for you, execute them, and come back with the answer, uh, which is going to be uh, amazing. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. People listening here are maybe worried about how this may impact them. I think I, I said at the beginning, it's uh, embracing it, you know, moving with it and, and bringing that into your kind of uh, your working practice rather than kind of uh, burying your head in the sand because it's not going anywhere and use the right way. It's going to be super powerful and, and, and change for good. I think it's fantastic. Exactly. You take a look at it now, you know, it'll be very different years from now, but you can just go, you know, for example, open AI or, you know, chat GPT and just try it and then try some of the derivatives, you know, like Dolly and, um, you know, image making. So you just start embracing it. It could take you 15 minutes and uh, you get a better sense of what it can do. Fantastic. And, uh, I know you mentioned earlier, but is there a potential link or where people could look at what Dolly is? You mentioned it a couple of times here. Is there, you know, there was a launch earlier. Is there something online they can look at and kind of familiarize themselves with what that is? Yeah, well, if you go to databricks.com, like right on the homepage are everything from demos to like videos of, you know, how it works. Or if you are technical, you know, we have things like notebooks that you could try out. Notebook is like technical like examples of code. Um, you can also go to Hugging Face, which is a popular uh, you know, artificial intelligence collection website and take a look at Dolly from there. That's more for the technical people. And you can actually see the whole array of what's going on with you know these uh, open AI type of environments. So you can get Dolly either from Hugging Face or um, if you want something more of an introduction from our website with those videos and examples. Fantastic. Well, look for everyone listening, we'll, we'll, we'll tag some of these links in the uh, in the comments when we go to post. But Ari, thanks ever so much for your time. It was a kind of fascinating insight. I'm sure people will be really, uh, really interested to hear about you, your journey, and, and specifically Databricks, and more importantly, kind of where, where this world of AI is heading. But thanks ever so much. It's, it's been, been my pleasure. Hey, thanks for having me, Alex, and thanks to the listeners for your time. Thanks, Ari.